All right, there we go. Thank you, sound man. Uh, welcome, Cornerstone people and friends. So good to gather with you on this Lord's Day, which also happens to be Palm Sunday. We're looking forward to Good Friday this coming Friday night, 6.30 in here, and then Easter Sunday next week. So it's a blessed time of year for us to be together. Thank you, worship band, for leading us in our worship today and all of you for singing out like you do. We are, for this Palm Sunday, we're back in John chapter 6. I intend this to be our third and final message from John chapter 6. And uh, then we'll be in, just so you know, John 19 for Friday night, crucifixion passage. John 20 for Sunday morning, resurrection passage. And then the week after that, we'll go and we'll drop in on John chapter 10 for a while. And uh, then, Lord willing, later end up in Deuteronomy. So that's what's coming, just so you'll know again what's coming. But today we're in John chapter 6, looking at verses 41 through 45. I'll read them and then we'll pray and get right into it. This is God's word. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, quote, and they will all be taught by God, end quote. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us together that we may bow in our hearts before you to worship, to adore, to love and bless you. We, we bless you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and pray that our worship may be pleasing and acceptable, a fragrant sacrifice offered up before you today. We pray that this may be the day of salvation for boys and girls downstairs, men and women, boys and girls upstairs. We pray that the Spirit of God would illuminate in the inner man, that the lights would go on, and that people here would believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. We pray that believers will be thrilled as they hear more from the Savior, learn more about the Savior, Speak into our souls, we pray. Have your way with us. We are yours. We are purchased with the blood, with blood of Christ. Have your way in us today. Teach us, shape us, mold us. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So we'll drop in at the first verse we just read, verse 41, and read it again. So, that so is going to take a little explaining. It means in light of what just happened in the chapter, so we'll review that quickly in a moment. So, all that having happened, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So, so what's the so? What happened before, before the so? Well, the whole chapter's been about bread. 
It started way back earlier in the chapter when there's this great crowd following Jesus, 5,000 men, so maybe 20,000 people, and they all got hungry. And the disciples are the first ones to say bread in the chapter. They say to the Lord Jesus, Lord, where are we going to get bread to feed so many people? So the word bread comes up. And then they found a boy, and he had some bread and some fish. And then Jesus multiplied the bread, and then everybody ate some bread. And then everybody started talking about bread. Then they're following Jesus because they want the bread. And they're asking, please, Lord, can we have this bread always, like free lunch every day? Not a bad idea. So it's been all about bread, bread, bread. And Jesus seizes the opportunity and is trying to teach them that what you want from bread, which is just for your bodies and temporal, just for time, I am here to be bread for your souls and to give you eternal life. He told them back in verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes. It's an exaggeration for effect, of course. But for the food that endures to eternal life, work for that, which the Son of Man will give you. So Jesus begins teaching them about the work, which is to believe on the Lord Jesus, which isn't really a work, it's faith. It's the empty hand of faith. And he's been talking about himself and bread. And the last thing he said was, uh, I am, let's see, let me get it here, uh, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So they're grumbling. The word grumble is an interesting word. It's one of those words that in the Hebrew language and in our English language, it sounds like the thing it's describing. It's that automatopoetic thing. So in Hebrew, the word for grumble sounds like gog, 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 gog. G-O-G, gog, but guttural. So they're over there grumbling, and you, to you it sounds like gog, 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 gog. The word grumble in English is like grum, 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 grumble. So it, it's, it sounds like the thing it describes. And, and they're over there grumbling, and, and who's doing the grumbling? And what's going on in their lives when they're grumbling? They are some of the most immensely, amazingly, unbelievably God-blessed people ever to walk the planet. They're with Jesus, God in the flesh. They're looking into the eyeballs of the sinless Son of God. He's performed amazing miracles like no one ever has. They partook of the bread and the fish. He's speaking words of eternal life like no one has ever spoken before. They should be falling down before him to worship and adore and to offer him their souls and their hearts. And instead, those people are grumbling because he said, I'm not like you. I didn't start down here. I started up there. I came down from heaven. Because he's teaching them about his incarnation, they're grumbling. Grumbling at God, really. Now, if you're familiar with your Old Testament much at all, if you ever read through it once, you probably remember, there are some other people in the Bible who have grumbled. They're, they're relatives of these people. 
ancient relatives. These are not the first Israelis. These are not the first Jewish people. There's plenty of Gentiles who do it too. Uh, in, in, the, in the history of the, the word of God that have grumbled. Do you remember, this is a quiz for the church now. Come on, do me proud. In which books of the Bible, the Old Testament, do we find the most grumbling? That would be in Exodus and Numbers. You were close. All right, you got one, you got 50%, which is what, an F? <laughs> Anyway, some of you probably got it. But anyway, Exodus and Numbers. And back at Exodus and Numbers, what's going on? And who is grumbling at whom? And when are they grumbling? Well, you remember what had just happened. The people of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for a long, long time. And God finally raised up a man, Moses, who's going to deliver them. And he empowered this man to be able to call down the power of God and miracles are performed. And they witness the miracles. They see the outstretched arm of the Lord. And he delivers them. And then, then they're chased by the charioteers of, of Egypt, and they come up against the Red Sea, and the Lord just parts the waters, and they walk through on dry land. Imagine that. Like, that's never happened before. Like, that's pretty clearly a miracle from God. God is with us. And then they get through, and then what happens? The Egyptians come in, and, and the waters close in on them, and they all drown and get washed away. And, and the people of Israel are so excited, they throw a big party, and they write a song, and they're singing their song, and they're playing their tambourines, and the tagline in the song is, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Yeah. And then it says, and God let, three days later, God led them three days after the tambourines and the song, God led them three days into the wilderness to a place where there was no water. God led them to that place. Just footnote, little hint, sometimes God leads his children, you, to places where there's no water. Like the temptation in that place is to say, Lord, this isn't where I wanted to be. There's no water here. What are you leading me here for? This isn't the life I had in mind. This isn't the outcome I desired. But God in his sovereignty and in his providential dealings sometimes leads us to places that to us have no water. He led them to that place. Three days after the tambourines and the song, and they grumbled. Let's read some of their grumbling, Exodus 15, 24. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? A couple days ago, God parted the Red Sea for you all. I think he can handle water. I don't think it's going to be a problem. Blind souls, no hearts for God, no trust, no gratefulness. Again, Exodus 16, 2 and 3. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, they got all theatrical here, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And then <laughs> their memories. When we sat by the meat pots, and ate the bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They act like it was a picnic back in Egypt. Wish we'd just stayed there. And you brought us out here to kill us. Poor memories. We are all fickle people. Here's another one, Exodus 16, 8. 
Moses replies, the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Someone I believe has truly said that all complaints ultimately land on God's desk. Because he is the sovereign God who in his providential dealings works out his will in time. So if you're complaining about his will, if you're grumbling about the land to which he led you where there is no water, you're ultimately complaining at God. Humans do a lot of complaining at God. Lord, why have you? God, I don't understand. I'm following Jesus Christ. I'm your blood botcher. Why would you allow? God, this is me down here. Don't we? We're good at grumbling. But grumbling is bad. Grumbling is a serious sin, not to be excused by the fact that everybody does it. That's why Philippians 2 says, Philippians 2.14, here it is. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. How many things? All. Do them all without grumbling. No more gog, 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 gog. Instead, the giving of thanks, his praise on your tongue, lifting up the name of Jesus, rejoicing in the will of God, trusting and bowing and blessing and believing. Those Old Testament people grumbled and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And now we're back in John chapter six with these New Testament Israeli people. But this time they're not looking at Moses. This time they're standing there with God in the flesh. And again, I say to you, he's performed miracles and he's spoken such words. And they should be falling down with adoration and worship and praise. And instead they're grumbling. What does Jesus say? This is really good. <laughs> Verse 43. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. You've memorized John 3.16 and you wanted to know, what should I memorize next? There's a good one. This is not hyper-compassionate Jesus. This is not deeply empathetic Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, look, I understand. This is hard to get. I know the things I've been saying are a little bit profound. Let's sit down and you talk for a while and I'll just listen very deeply so I can empathize and feel with you and know where you're coming from. No, none of that. He just says, oh, what do I hear? Grumbling? Do not grumble. And then, it's, it's amazing, he explains, this is what's coming next. This is a really good verse coming next. Don't show it to him yet. <laughs> then Jesus explains how come these people can possibly be grumbling because they're with the Son of God. Again, everything I said, they've heard his words. They've seen his miracles. 
He's been preaching and teaching to them about him being the bread that comes down from heaven, and they need to feast their souls on him, and they're not getting it at all, and instead they're grumbling and complaining. How can that happen? How do you explain that? Jesus is going to give us his own divine explanation, and it's profound. Here's why they're grumbling, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The reason why you're grumbling is because you have not been drawn by the Father, and so you have not come to me. So either you come to me or you grumble about me. Maybe there's a third option. You could ignore me, but that's a form of grumbling at me. You grumble first, I don't like that, and then you ignore it. You're either grumbling at God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, or you're opening your soul to God. But here Jesus teaches us, here's why you guys are grumbling among yourselves. Here's the problem. Here's how come you're not coming to me, the most privileged people on the planet, seeing Jesus. But here's the truth of it. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If the Father had been drawing you, you'd be coming to me right now. You'd be bowing. You'd be blessing. You'd be repenting and believing on my saving name. But you're grumbling at me because you haven't been drawn by the Father. That's why. So, Again, he's done it before, I'll remind you in a moment, and he's going to do it again later, I'll I'll remind you in a moment, I'll show you in a moment. Jesus takes their lost condition back to the sovereignty of God. He roots it in the real thing here is God's sovereignty and human salvation. Jesus has already done this. I don't have the slide for you, I'll just read it. Back in verse 37, he said to them, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So he told them, there are people God gives me. They'll all come. And then later on, he's going to say, verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So there are people the Father gives the Son. It's granted to them by the Father to come to the Son. And now in our verse, he puts it in a different way still and says... No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Nobody can get saved unless the Father draws them. Nobody can come to the Lord Jesus Christ, dead in their trespasses and sins, far from God, hearts all dull about the things of God. Nobody can come unless the Father draws. The Father obviously does not draw in this sense everybody, or everybody would come to Christ. No, this is some. Some get this drawing from God the Father, and no one can come to Jesus, he says, unless the Father gives them that drawing. Notice the phrase, no one. No one. There are no exceptions to no one. No one. Not your aunt, not your uncle, not your grandmother. No one can come to Christ. No one can the Greek word word dunamis. No one has the power. Nobody has the strength. Nobody has the ability. Fallen sinners suffer a horrible disability, a horrible inability. They cannot come to Christ unless, unless the Father is drawing them. This is why they're grumbling. This is why you guys are grumbling. The Father hasn't drawn you to me, or you'd be coming to me. And their inability to believe was 
total. This is what theologians call, rightly, they call it total depravity, which doesn't mean you're as bad as you could be. Thank God that's not the case. But it means you're bad top to bottom, front to back, and side to side. You're bad through and through. Badness, fallenness, has touched every part of your being, including your will, and your will is turned away from me, and you will not come to me. That's why they're grumbling. Unaided, fallen human nature does not and cannot come to Jesus Christ apart from a drawing of the Father. Unless the Father draws them. Let's think about that word draws for a moment. It's the Greek word elko. It means to drag or to draw. It's used elsewhere in the New Testament. Here are a few examples. John 21, 11, the net is full. They have to haul it, drag it, draw it ashore. That's the word. Acts 29, 30, they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. That's the word. James 2, 6, it speaks of those who drag you into the courts. That's the word. That's the word used here. No one can come to me unless the Father drags or draws or hauls you to him. This is what the Lord Jesus is teaching. This is what theologians call effectual calling. This is effectual calling. So last week you heard from Pastor Wallace. Thank you, Pastor Wallace, for preaching. He was there a moment ago for, for preaching um, last week. By the way, I've only gotten to hear the first 20 minutes or so of your sermon, sir, and there was no heresy in it. It was good and solid. So as long as you made it through the rest of the sermon the same way, I really liked it. Thank you, brother. Good, solid stuff feeding the sheep. Appreciate that. But he preached to you a message, a whole message about the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit in the, in the soul of a believer. And we're on the same kind of theme today. It just happens to be part of what happens when God draws you, part of the mechanism of drawing is he turns on the lights. And you see and you believe and you freely and will, he turns your will and you willingly come to Christ. It's not like he draws you against your will. You're kicking and screaming, no, I don't want Jesus. And he's dragging you. to. No, he turns your will and you say, yes, I do. I believe. I love him. I want him. And you're a believer and he will raise you up at the last day. This drawing is God taking hold of the sinner's soul and drawing it to Jesus Christ. This drawing is God taking hold of a sinner's heart and making it a new heart that loves the things of God. This drawing takes hold of the sinner's will and turns it so that freely, willingly, they choose Christ. This drawing grants the sinner faith and repentance, gifts of God, and they turn and believe. And note Jesus' words. He says, here's why you're grumbling, because no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is why we pray, oh, Father, would you draw them to Jesus Christ? We all pray like we believe in God's sovereignty and human salvation because in our heart of hearts we know it's true. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're not turning to Christ. I want my son to be a believer. What do I pray? Oh, Lord, draw him to Christ. There's this other phrase, Lord, would you send the, the hounds of heaven? Have you heard that one? Send the hounds of heaven to, to run him up a tree, Calvary's tree. And the hound of heaven is the Holy Spirit. Say it reverently. It's the Holy Spirit who goes after them to draw them to Jesus Christ. 
So Jesus teaches why they're grumbling, not believing, why they're complaining, not worshiping. And the reason why is you're lacking the drawing of the Father that would infallibly draw you to me and you'd love me and believe on me. Now, he's going to elucidate a little bit on that, first on a promise that he attaches to it. So, let's notice the promise. It's in the same text, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's really cool. He's already said that in verse 39, I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 40, raise him up on the last day. Verse 44, raise him up on the last day. Verse 54, raise him up on the last day. I circled raise in all four places so I can find him easy. And so there's a promise. What, what the Bible is teaching us here is that there is a day called the last day. There's no more days in human time after that. You will be there. In fact, you only know for sure that you have this day and that day. I've said that before here, but I like it, so I'm saying it again. You only know that you have this day and that day because you might die this day, and the next thing you know, you'll be at that day. So you only know for sure you have two days, and you will be at that last day, and it's the judgment day, and there's heaven or hell awaiting you, and it depends on whether you arrive there in Christ. So please arrive there in Christ. But Jesus is teaching that he will raise all that the Father gives him, all that the Father draws to him. He assures us, I will raise every one of them up at the last day. He won't lose any. He won't discard any. He says that in the passage. We saw it two weeks ago. But he promises, I will raise everyone up at the last day. We know from Daniel chapter 5, there was a general resurrection at the last day. The just and the unjust are raised and go to their separate places. But here he's referring to those who are the just by the grace of God, those who are in Christ. And he's saying, I will raise them up to life. It's the idea. I'll raise them up for heaven in the last day. I'll raise them up in a glorified body to live under new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness finally dwells. So there's a promise. Jesus is a start to finish Savior. Jesus is an all the way into heaven Savior. Jesus Christ will raise you up at the last day. The Father draws you to Christ. Christ will get you to heaven and raise you up at the last day. But now a further explanation about the nature of this drawing. Like, how does it work? How does the Father draw people to the Son? Does he have a big rope? Or is it like a toe strap? I got toe straps in the back of my truck, just hoping I'll have the, my next opportunity to pull somebody out of the mud ditch or out of a snow drift or out of the sand where there's I've gotten to do a lot of that, especially back in my Jeep days, but now in my truck days still. I was coming to church one morning, I'm not going to get off topic, and, and a guy had spun on the exit and was in the, in the mud, and on the way to church, I got to pull him out. That was so much fun. I love doing that. I got toe straps. Does God have a big toe strap? And he says, you, sir, time to draw you to Christ, and he hooks it onto your bumper and <clears throat> draws you in. How does the Father draw? Jesus explains, verse 45. He just talked about No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now he's going to explain that with these words, verse 45. It is written in the prophets, quote, and they will all be taught by God. And then he explains 
Here's what that means. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, who has been taught by God, comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He, is, he has seen the Father. So Jesus says, well, let me explain to you what I mean by God drawing people to Christ. Let me explain it to you by a reference from the prophets. And there are several possible places, but it's probably Isaiah 54, 13. Here it is. All your sons will be taught by the Lord. So there's old covenant Israel and not all their sons were taught by the Lord. They didn't have hearts for God. God didn't flip on the light switch. They didn't repent and believe. But in the days of the new covenant, all your sons, everyone who's in that covenant will be taught by the Lord. Now what does it mean to be taught by the Lord? This is, this is what it means. It means that you're hearing the gospel, but as you're hearing the gospel, God gives you an internal Holy Spirit teaching so that you say, I believe. That's when you're taught by the Lord. When you say, I see, the I see this as truth. This is truth from God. You are at that moment taught by God. Jesus is saying you need that thing, that being taught by God, in order to place saving faith in me. You need God to throw on the lights. You need God to illuminate your soul. You need God to teach you directly and immediately in your soul. God talks about this in other places in the Bible, like Jeremiah 31, one of those great Old Testament passages that talks about the days of the new covenant. And it says, uh, they shall all know me. Everybody who's in that covenant, they'll all know me from the greatest to the least of them. And I will write my law on their hearts. What is having God take his finger and write his law, not on tablets of stone, but on your heart? What is that? That's God teaching you. You're taught by God. He puts a love for his things in your soul. First John 2, you have an anointing from the Father, and you know all things. All things, like, I don't know trigonometry. All things? What do you mean all things? All things that pertain to life and godliness, all things necessary to enter into everlasting life. And you have an anointing from the Father. That's being taught from God. The Holy Spirit anoints you. And so you know, now you know. Matthew 16, 17, Peter's great confession. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter, uh, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. Peter was taught by God, a direct, immediate teaching in Peter's soul. I like 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have been God taught. God shined the light and we said, I see my own salvation was very much indicative of this thing. I got dragged to a Bible study one night with absolutely zero Christian background whatsoever. Zero. Nothing. Nothing. I mean really nothing. And a friend said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I thought, I want this. Where did that come from? And I went to the Bible study, and the first night, we went through the Ten Commandments showing us what miserable, wretched sinners we are, and then he took us to the cross in the Gospel of John. And the first night, I think the first night, I believed. 
I wasn't smart enough to know that there are books on apologetics and I could go read and find out why you can really believe it. I, I didn't need any of that. I was immediately taught by God, this is true, believe it, and I did. Then I spent years figuring out, how can I believe it? <laughs> apologetics. One of the best uses for apologetics is for believers so you can understand why you're believing what you definitely believe. But this is what Jesus is referring to. He's saying, as it's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. You guys, your problem is, the reason you're grumbling and not worshiping is because you've not been taught by God, which is the same as saying you've not been drawn by God, which is the same as saying you're apparently so far in your life not one of those that the Father has given to the Son. Maybe they'll prove to be at a later date in their life. So Jesus says, let's run through it quick. I am the bread of life. The Jews grumble. Jesus says, don't grumble. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Have you been drawn by the Father to the Son? Have you been taught by God? Has God beamed new creation light into your soul, and you have responded repenting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been taught by God? Have you been drawn to the Son? Now, Jesus is going to drive this home a whole lot more, and I just want to move kind of quickly through the next verses, verses 47 through 59. Fasten your seatbelt. Try to travel with me here. Verse 47, Truly, truly, he's going to say that several more times. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And that's good news. What do I need to do to get eternal life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Truly, truly. But now, verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. It didn't, that bread was not the true bread was not the living, it didn't give them everlasting life. This, he's probably pointing to himself, is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What is Jesus saying? He's saying to you, he's saying to them, you need to consume me. You need to receive me into yourself. You need to open the doors of your soul and welcome me in, and I will give you everlasting life. That's what the Savior is telling these people. They grumble some more. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Grr, 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 grr. Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And you say, what is this? Well, certainly he's not advocating some form of Christian cannibalism. He doesn't mean you literally eat his flesh or drink his blood, though you might think of communion where you kind of substitutionally eat his flesh and drink his blood. But what he's talking about is you've got to consume me. 
I need to be in you. You need to be in me. You need to savingly believe on me. You need to repent and turn to me. That's what he's talking about in these stark, vivid terms. And then verse 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. What a day. Can you imagine if you'd been in the synagogue there with Jesus and he's saying all these things? And you're trying to grasp it in your little pea brain, fallen soul. What a day. But it's also what a day right here in Cornerstone Community Church because you're hearing his word. You're reading the words of Jesus Christ. You're hearing them proclaimed to you. And let me go back and remind you what he said way back in verse 27. This is for you. Do not work for the food that perishes. Hyperbole, exaggeration for effect. But work, understood, for the food that endures to eternal life. Interesting twist, which the Son of Man will give you. Work for what he'll give you. And the work is to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Have you come to Christ? Has the Father drawn you? You say, yes. Well, bless the Lord, then he will raise you up at the last day. Have you come to Christ? Has the Father drawn you? No. Well, the day of grace is still with us. And God still invites you. The Lord Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So come to the Lord Jesus. Believe on him. You'll find food for your soul. Oh, may you. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this opportunity to open to John chapter 6 and to hear words that come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you will put it into the heart of each one here this morning and again of our little ones downstairs. Will you put it into hearts to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved? We pray for this Friday night, Good Friday, for next Sunday, Easter Sunday, and ask that you might bring many and draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you will energize us this week to be evangelists, to work with our friends and our co-workers, the people we work out with and play with. Father, use us to draw them to Jesus Christ. And we who have been so drawn, we bow in our hearts low before you. And thank you, O oh God, that you drew unworthy sinners like us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to talk with a pastor at Cornerstone, one of our pastors would love to talk with you. How can you make that happen? Just text PASTOR to the number on the screen, and we'll be reaching out soon. Pastor Stan.